0: Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli, And we have a very special show for you today. I have Dr. Andrew Schiller on the show from Neighborhood Scout. And that product is something we use a lot in addition to many other tools, um, But I've been wanting to get Dr. Schiller on for three or four months now because he's a very, very smart guy who uh, aggregates a lot of data and has a tool called NeighborhoodScout.com that's been around for many, many years. And um, it's just chock full of information. When we talk to investors, a lot of times we go from talking about the market to talking about the property. And although there's consideration and thought about the neighborhood it seems that many investors kind of skip over the neighborhood as if it's just something that is attached to the hip of the property but really a lot plays into the decision of what you're investing in because of the neighborhood the demographics maybe crime schools the percent of owner occupied homes Uh, the number of people with college degrees, whether they're white-collar, blue-collar workers, income levels, and all that kind of stuff. So where do you get that data? Well, it's peppered all over the internet. Um, You can go to many different websites and pull some of it from here and some of it from there. Bureau of Labor Statistics, you know, the different government websites. But there's no one website or one place where you can get all that data. Um, But one of the websites that we like to use is NeighborhoodScout.com. And there's a lot of that information, not everything, but a lot. And so, you know, it's just one of the tools in the toolbox. And so on today's show, we have uh, Dr. Schiller talking about his company, the product, how they're aggregating data, and uh, how you could use this tool to help you make better decisions in your investing, whether you're purchasing uh, a turnkey property or whether you're purchasing a distressed property, you're going to be fixing it up to keep it or fixing it up to flip it. At least you have a better understanding of what you have and what you're dealing with. So it was an exciting interview. I really enjoyed having him on and we'll get to that interview here in just 30 seconds.
1: Are you having a hard time finding great investment property? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com guide.
0: It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Andrew Schiller to the show. Dr. Schiller is the founder, CEO, and chief scientist of Location, Inc., and he's responsible for inventing the search and neighborhood matching algorithms that powers NeighborhoodScout.com. Andrew, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Marco. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I'm happy to have you here, and here's why. I've been thinking about getting you on the show for the last three or four months, um, I've, I've been dealing with a lot of other issues and I've been very, very busy. So I haven't had the time to bring you on, but the reason I wanted to bring you onto the show is because you have a, an impressive tool that I've been using for a number of years. I've been a subscriber of yours for a number of years and I actually use it for my own investing and I use it or we use it. Our company uses it, um, internally here to look at different properties for our clients to help match those properties to what their goals and their criteria are. So before we get into all that, I'm I'm really curious. You have a PhD in geography. So what exactly does a person with a PhD in geography do?
1: (laughs) Well, they build Neighborhood Scout, of course. But they also, a lot of them are academics. A lot of them are in the CIA. A lot of people do foreign service work for um, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, also work for um, uh, the Goddard Space Flight Center around DC, and a lot of them are creating other types of really interesting products. Uh, A notable geography PhD that I know was the inventor of MapQuest. Other geographers build um, data and analytics about locations that help insurance companies make decisions. And so you'll find geographers in all these types of locations where knowing about locations really matters.
0: Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So you've got a company called Location, Inc., and I believe that's the parent company to NeighborhoodScout.com. And as I understand it, your company or companies are massive aggregators of data. I mean, you collect data um, across the country down to a very granular level. It's, it seems to be the street level. So um, tell us about Location, Inc. and and, and NeighborhoodScout.com and, and, and what it is.
1: Absolutely. Location, Inc. is uh, a big data company that specializes in location-based data, revealing the truth about locations, and in building predictive models and analytics to help us better understand how places are evolving, what they used to be like, what they're like today, and what they could be or are likely to be like in the future. And we license data to some of the uh, more major uh, real estate investment trusts in the country. We license data to the U.S. Federal Reserve. We license data and analytics to uh, the Texas State Housing Authority and the New York State Housing Authority to help them understand which locations are going to be eligible for tax credits for builders who build affordable housing in those states. And we also provide data and analytics to retail establishments so they can determine where to open stores and how to allocate limited security resources among their stores. And we also power data and analytics to help insurers understand risk at locations, not necessarily risk of floods, for example, but we have data that helps them understand the risk that a house will go up in flames or there will be some type of a crime-related insurance loss at the address.
0: All right. So i I always ask this question of of virtually anything and and that's how you source the data and I'm not asking you to give away you know trade secrets or your secret sauce, but when you have data um you know at such a granular level, the question is how are you able to to get that data? It's not like people are knocking on my door or calling my phone asking me you know, am I the homeowner? How much do income do I earn? Do I have a college degree and all that kind of stuff? Um, at least I don't remember. Maybe my wife answers the door. I'm not sure. But you, you know, I always question where the data comes from and how accurate it is, how old or fresh it might be.
1: Right. And so on our Neighborhood Scout product, which was the very first product that Location Inc. ever came out with and has been live on the web since 2002. It now serves more than 1.1 million unique visitors per month, and it covers all of the U.S. We update the data on Neighborhood Scout at least seven times per year. Crime, school quality, real estate prices, rental values, appreciation rates, housing stock, demographics, and predictive analytics, taxes, unemployment, all get updated at different cycles that that require us to push all these updates through Neighborhood Scout. We collect the data from all kinds of sources, government sources primarily, um, that include things such as the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the National Center for Education Statistics and all kinds of sources. In, in total, we use a little bit more than 18,000 sources for the raw data, raw information that we we get. And then we oftentimes get it at certain spatial scales that aren't at the spatial scale that will make the most sense for people trying to make decisions on real estate investments. Uh, and so what we do is we use uh, predictive modeling to build analytics Uh, using a meta-analysis across all the locations in the country to then estimate and produce new values and new data for tiny, tiny, fine-grained areas. At one of our products, uh, those fine-grained areas are as small as uh, 33 feet, and we produce crime risk analytics that change every 33 feet for the whole country. And that's that's how we we basically build it. We've been building this in house. In in that way, we're a very artisanal shop, uh, very old fashioned, using the latest technologies and knowledge in predictive modeling. But we're old fashioned in the sense that we actually handle and touch the data ourselves and actually build it here, just like a, you know a fine bakery would would make really great bread.
0: So, okay, well that's that's all that's all pretty powerful stuff. Um, but to just kind of say what you just said about predictive modeling in fewer words for someone who is maybe not too familiar with that, effectively what you're doing is you're filling in the gaps by using your own algorithms to come up with what is likely to be the answer to a question where the data doesn't exist. I mean, that's that's the long and the short of it.
1: That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. Okay. Data is messy.
0: Well, data is raw and there's no intelligence in data until you actually, you know, analyze it and then you can extract intelligence.
1: That's absolutely right.
0: Well, um, you're doing a great job with the data you collect and I've always been impressed with, um, um, you know, your, your, your product. In fact, I was somewhat honored to be chosen to be a person, uh, that you, um, not you, but you hired a survey company to interview me to ask about what I thought of the product, what I liked, disliked, etc., etc. et cetera. And I think that was a 30 or 45 minute phone call. Um, I have, a, I had a lot to say about it, but it's a great product. And I think from what I understand, you're making it much, much better.
1: Yeah, and part of that is is from help from people like you, Marco, who took the time to give us feedback on the product and help us think about how we could bring it to even the next level to help answer a lot of questions that uh, different types of users have. When you have a product that provides somewhere between 300 and 400 different types of must-see statistics and data about every location in the U.S. down to the sub-zip code level, you get a whole lot of different types of use cases, different types of users. And so having smart people to ask questions of and how they use it is very helpful in making sure that we are providing the the best type of information that's actionable for you.
0: Yeah. And, and that's a good segue to my, my next question. See, I, I'm not a homeowner. I'm not looking for a place to move to or live. I'm looking at Neighborhood Scout or data in general on the web um, as a real estate investor. I'm looking to make intelligent decisions and do my due diligence. So when I use Neighborhood Scout, it's because I'm looking at a property for a uh, you know, investment purposes. So my question to you is as an investor, what should one look for when using neighborhood scout? What, what would you do? What would you suggest someone use the tool for?
1: Well, there's some big patterns that we've been seeing in the data over the last few years that have been revealing to us. It looks like changes in the way that, uh, locations gain value. And some of these may be new to you, but many of them may not be. But it's interesting to know what they are and then how to use Neighborhood Scout to pull them up. One of them has been that all along for many years, a lot of the inner city neighborhoods were declining in value while suburbs were growing in value, especially suburbs with good quality public school systems. And Uh, this still is the case to a large degree that these good quality public school systems are real good bellwether for the quality and characteristics of the um, location uh, outside of the major city but over the last few years we did uh, some research uh, for the Wall Street Journal and found that there was a a real strong trend in uh, the best predictor of increasing values in real estate for example wasn't so much um the quality of the school system as a rebound from the last downturn in real estate but it was the the distance or the rather the closeness to the central business district the middle of the city the closer you were the faster and farther those values were rebounding. And we saw that to be a signal that it was happening, whether you were in the Los Angeles area or Chicago or Washington, D.C. or Boston or any of the other cities around the country, it was a relatively consistent signal. And that was something that's a bit different than before as we think about where people are moving, what they value, and um, what they're thinking about as a place that is going to make sense for them to buy real estate. So one pattern was closeness to the central business district. Another part of that that seems to be real important over and over again is really access to opportunity seems to be the thing that drives so much value in real estate as well as value and rental value. So the closer you are to a high volume of high-paying jobs, the greater the value of the real estate tends to be. And I think that's something that many people would would know about, of course, but sometimes it gets lost in thinking about some of the other aspects of of what's going on in the real estate market. And those places that derive a great deal of their value from the amenity in situ that is a beautiful view or what have you, but aren't really uh, position to have great access to high-paying jobs, those types of places are much more vulnerable to seeing the value drop out in a downturn in the economy. So a strong regional economy and closeness to high-paying jobs really can drive value in places if you're looking to be a value investor. And and to find the balance between those uh, going up in value areas near the cities Uh, in places that are great for income generating properties is to make sure that you're not getting too far on one side or the other. Places that are so expensive to buy into, it's very difficult. Places that have super high unemployment rates or high crime rates on the other side can be very difficult to get really good tenants that you can maintain over a long period of time because there's lots of transients. So you want to look for things that have a relatively stable or relatively low unemployment rate, even if the people don't make a lot of money. And they don't have a a huge amount of transients because it's much easier to rent to people and to have them stay for a little while than it is to have a lot of churn. Um, And some of these things, are these characteristics are quite geared uh, towards and influenced by vacancy rates. So you can see that vacancy rates tend to go up in places that have a lot of transients and a lot of unemployment and tend to be lower in places that don't.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of great information. It seems that it always comes back to jobs and job growth. Employment seems to be at the core of it all. And so a lot of people are moving closer to downtown cores or or areas of concentrated employment because it's just easier to commute to those locations. And I think that's why we see a lot of gentrification in Various markets is because there's people who are clustering closer and closer to the downtown core or these centers of employment, and that's driving the gentrification it 's not the other way around but how does that play into a market where there really isn't a downtown core or one central place of employment? There are many markets that are spread out
1: that's right, and sometimes it just really is, is access to 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 high paying jobs and oftentimes households have um, multiple um, income earners in them, and so having access to jobs for both is all, always very important to strive those values. So oftentimes it can be cities that are in between those two, and some of those examples are those uh, mid-cities areas between Dallas and Fort Worth, for example, which have uh, exploded in population in recent years. It used to be kind of more prairie environment, and now it's hard to see a piece of prairie anywhere there.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the, the caution or the caveat there or the, the disclaimer is that you can't always invest based on just um, proximity to high-paying jobs because you can look at an expensive market like uh, San Francisco or San Jose or Washington, D.C., and, you know, you've got a lot of, of high-paying jobs in a, in a small, concentrated area, but it doesn't make sense to spend 500000 to a $1 million for a single-family detached home. You know, the numbers still have to make sense, and that has to drive your decision too.
1: That's absolutely correct. We did some research looking at a lot of the metropolitan areas and the, average, the, the cost of the average home uh, in terms of the average number of years at the, at the average income for those metros. And it looked like at about the height of the last housing boom, it had gone to about 10 in San Francisco area. It was about 10 years of the average income to buy the average house. It was very high. And in other markets um, today, for example, Detroit area is about 10 point, I'm sorry, 2.8 years at the average income to buy the average house. So it varies quite a bit and trying to find out where that top of the market is, is, is tricky because it's not uniform across the country. In some locations, people are more used to paying a higher proportion of their income for housing than in others.
0: Yeah. I would imagine that the average is what, three and a half, four years?
1: I think it is. And I think that people tend to recommend that it's about three and a half or four years and no more than that overall for people who are purchasing in. But it does, it does vary quite a bit. I know in the Boston area now, it's somewhere around five or five and a half years at the average income to buy the average house.
0: Yeah, that might be an interesting uh, metric or tool to further analyze a market in addition to all the other things that are available through Neighborhood Scout and other tools out there. Um, mm-hmm. I have to think about that one. I might have to uh, work on something. In fact, that would probably be a good metric to add to your Neighborhood Scout product. You you already have the data.
1: I think that's right. That's right. Um, I, I think that actually that's one of the things that's on our workbench now is to produce that as well as taking a look at what we call value surfaces, which is um, a perimeter of a half a mile to a mile to two to three miles around a particular property. And what is the topography of real estate values around you? If the whole area is very elevated and you're low, um, we look at what are the impediments to value creation at your location versus the steepness of the elevation around you for the values to come up. Or if you're at the very top of your market you know, and everything else is lower than you, what is the prospect for you ever being able to go up? Or if there's a whole lot of areas around you that are inexpensive, like there is when in many of the Sunbelt cities, away from the coast um there is not a lot of impediments to growth so instead of growing up in value they just grew out in space
0: yeah yeah that's true for many markets but when you're landlocked like in orange county california where you know where i'm at you can only go up you can't go out anymore and you know that that just drives prices up even further than you know where they are at these crazy levels now absolutely so here's a question um You know, we're talking about all these different factors. In your opinion, what are the most important factors that make for a stable neighborhood? And the reason I ask this question is this. Our company takes a top-down approach. We'll always start off with defining the market that makes the most sense for our investor you know what's their criteria and what are they trying to achieve but once you've identified a metro area or a market then we get more granular and we start looking at different neighborhoods that achieve or meet the criteria that they have they might be looking for a grade neighborhoods or what we'll call b grade neighborhoods they might be looking for certain price points they might be looking for certain uh, rent ranges whatever it is uh I guess in your opinion what are those most important factors that define a stable neighborhood or or a stable rental property in a particular neighborhood
1: mm. it, it tends to be um uh relatively stable and relatively low or moderately low unemployment um a low violent crime rate even if the prop if the property crime rate is higher like it is elevated uh relatively high In and near a lot of college campuses, Uh, the violent crime rate tends to be relatively low in those types of environments. So, a low uh, crime rate is also relatively important. Educational attainment of the people living in the area can also be important. Now, sometimes you don't want the top of the market where it's it's very uh, where uh, you know eighty percent of the population has a bachelor's degree, master's degree, or above. But having above the national average uh, means that people will be able to find employment even if things, their circumstances change more easily than people who have less education, and therefore there will be more stable tenants and more stable neighborhood. Also, people tend to be uh, stay put longer if they have some children. They tend to because children get um,
0: well; they're rooted in the community and in
1: school. Right. They're rooted in the community and they tend to stay longer. So those are all indicators that are very useful for taking a look at stability in a neighborhood.
0: Yeah. And, and you know what? I like the way you, you defined um, or broke down crime because there's there's property crimes and then you've got violent crimes. And I certainly agree with you. Violent crimes are, are, are a major issue, whereas property crimes may not be a showstopper for me investing in a particular area. I mean, you're always going to have some level or degree of property crime. Um, but it may not be a major factor in you know my decision or someone else's decision on on that. And you know, here's here's something I, I was also curious about. You know, I I don't know how you collect your crime data, but and I'm not talking about your website, but there are other websites, whether it be Trulia or Zillow or others that I've looked at. And you know, I look at the crime data and it makes me scratch my head because I know that the property. Even my property is in a very good area, but I look at properties that I know are in very good areas, yet there is what seems to be an unusually high or unusually low level of crime. And the same thing applies to school ratings. So anyway, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Maybe you can address the crime thing.
1: Oh, sure. So what we do for crime is we normalize it based on the resident population. So even if the counts are not super high, they can actually make a high risk location if the resident population in the vicinity of the property is not that high. What you always want to look at when you think about crime risk or your chances of becoming a victim of a property crime or a violent crime is how many crimes per how many people. If If one only looks at counts, then clearly New York City would be considered the most dangerous city in the United States. But when you divide those counts of crimes by the 8.2 or 8.3 million people that live in the city limits of New York, you would quickly see that the rates are relatively low compared to many other cities. And therefore, on average, in New York City, your risk of being a victim is less. So sometimes a place that has more crime just means that there's more people. What we want to look for is to basically normalize that the numbers of crimes by the number of people that are that are living in the neighborhood, and that really gives you a better indicator of the risks that anybody would have if they're resident there for a year or more and that's quite helpful, I think one thing to also to think about is that property crimes are by and large much more common than violent crimes, and that's a good thing, but a lot of times the data is crunched to look at the total numbers of crimes per residence or per thousand residents. And in fact, many of those crimes are made up of of, of petty theft and larceny uh, as well as things like burglary um, and very much less of homicide, rape, armed robbery, or aggravated assault, which are the violent crimes that we track. So a place could actually have four times the murder rate of the national average in a location, but it would barely move the needle on the total crime rate per thousand because Murders are so infrequent that even four times is a very small number.
0: So the way you normalize it is on a per capita basis.
1: Per capita basis. And it's always useful to look at a total crime index on Neighborhood Scout, but then to look below that and take a look at what are the violent crime rate in that neighborhood versus the property crime rate. So it disaggregates it into the two buckets, and you get a much richer understanding immediately just by looking at the graphs on what the problems may be in that location and if it's really that much of a problem overall.
0: So now let's let's talk about schools for a sec. Um I again, same I have the same problem. I look at all these different websites and they have these different rating and grading systems for the schools around a particular neighborhood. And you know, I always felt that those numbers were somewhat skewed because they're either comparing them to a national average, which is I think highly unfair because all real estate markets are local or hyper local, and everything happens within a very small area. So it's not that someone is shopping for a school, you know, between Kansas City or the other option being Houston, Texas. I mean, they're going to look within a particular area, and and it's all relative, you know, within that twenty schools in an area, one's going to be a ten of the best, and one's going to be a zero or a one. Um, so I've always had a problem with this, this metric. I don't know if it's absolute or relative, you know, a five out of 10 might be considered a very good school in a particular area. So how do you explain all that?
1: Well, it's a great question. It's really to say that instead of, if you have 10 schools to choose from in a local area, then you can rank order them and say this is my best and this is my worst of those ten but having an objective number like a five or something like that is the quality rating will tell you that even maybe your best choice is only a five and maybe you're looking at these schools in this neighborhood you might want to look at the next town over which has a best school that's rated a seven or an eight so you may want to expand your search area by a few miles further than you were looking previously Um, I've seen this happen a lot. People oftentimes emotionally restrict the areas that they want to look in simply because the people that they know and talk with uh, and also have young children live in the community and they restrict it to what's the best school in this community when, in fact, they might be able to move just three or four or five miles away and open up their options to look at, better schools yet. We are based in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is a city of almost 200,000 people about 40 miles west of downtown Boston. And Worcester Public Schools, by most measures, are not the best schools in Massachusetts or in Worcester County or in the U.S. But oftentimes, even in the well-to-do neighborhoods of Worcester, people talk about what's the best school to send your children to in public school, elementary school in Worcester when they begin school. But almost all the towns around Worcester, just within five miles of the city, have phenomenally good schools that are nationally ranked. So just thinking a little bit beyond um, those that, that limited universe of that one community can really open up options for people to see. And I think having the ratings is very useful to know that even the best choice may not be a great choice.
0: So clearly, the, these are relative numbers. It's a relative scale. It's not that five is good or bad. It's what five is versus a seven versus a three.
1: Right. What we do at Neighborhood Scout is we we patented a way to make uh, school quality ratings nationally comparable, but we also show a a relative ranking to the state, so how the school compares within its local cohort in the state. So you can look at both dimensions. Um, The reason that's important is that about one out of five Americans lives in a metropolitan area that sits astride two or three states, and they could move to neighboring communities in any of those states and stay in the same metro and stay at the same job. Without a score like that, you have no way to really compare objectively the quality of schools that may just be a few miles apart from each other.
0: All right, so... Other things you have on the website are um, things like occupational breakdown, percentage of people with college degrees. I mean, these are all really great demographic metrics, and and I like to see that kind of stuff. In fact, I wish you had more, but um, but you have a great selection of stuff on there. Unemployment rate, and even how things are trending. You know, whether something is increasing or decreasing. But my question is this: You know, how important are demographics? to you and how important are demographics to a real estate investor? And again, I'm, this is more, you know, what your opinion is about it.
1: Mm. Well, it depends on how you define demographics overall, but I think that um, a declining population can mean many things that could could make it difficult to get higher rents in a certain area uh, on occasion, and that educational attainment is very formative for uh, a location, so I, I think migration, um, population, population trends, uh, income education, income trends are all very important for understanding a particular location. Uh, you can have submarkets where uh, certain languages can be very important for populations so that they feel uh, acclimatized in the locality and would feel very comfortable and positive there. So that that can oftentimes be a, a really wonderful thing for people to find a place that feels like home to them. Uh, but overall, I think it's more related to um, the, the housing stock and uh, the types of people who live there. And sometimes it's the age groupings. Oftentimes a community could be um, very many people who are from, let's say, 25 to 40. And in other cases, there may be... Uh, population of people in the houses that are mostly 45 to 65, and then a lot of children. And in other cases, there are very few children at all. It's mostly uh, people who are senior citizens, 65 and over. And it can make a big difference in the way that the community feels and also what the rental values uh, may be at those locations.
0: You know, one of the questions we sometimes ask our our investor clients is, uh, who are you trying to service? What is a description of your ideal tenant that you want to service and that could be a walmart tenant a macy's tenant or a nordstrom's tenant and and if you have that in mind then you can go back and look at things like you know the occupations that make up the demographic of that neighborhood and the income etc and work it backwards and so you can find a neighborhood that will meet the criteria that you have defined for yourself as far as an investment So I like the way you've laid all that out because it just makes it very easy to retrofit what is your ideal tenant to what your investment should be.
1: That's right. We have two paths to it. One is kind of um, a build function, which allows you to to select the criteria that you're looking for in the search area, and then it will identify, map, and rank order list the neighborhoods that best meet those criteria. Then you can click in and see a full profile about those neighborhoods, so you can look at if these are the places that you would like to find properties to to purchase or invest in. And another way is that we have a a look-alike function which we call match. And in that way, if you have a property that's done very well for you, you feel very comfortable working with a certain type of demographic for um, your your rentals, you can just simply type in an address that's in that neighborhood define a search area and find other neighborhoods that are most similar to it anywhere that you want to look.
0: Nice. So what's the future of Neighborhood Scout? What do you have on the board? What's coming up?
1: We are coming up with new indices for investors that take a look at um, the blue chip quality of a neighborhood as well as predicting uh, the future outcomes of certain areas over the next 24 to 36 months. So we've been looking at ways to forecast values, and this started with our forecasting of crime data. We were forecasting uh, crime We have trends of crime in the past to today, but then forecasts of crime today to the future. We were showing this to people in meetings, and they started to um, uh, get excited and yell out in the meeting that this is really kind of a surrogate for looking at neighborhood and community change. Some people might call it gentrification or uh, rejuvenation or or whatever it may be, Um, but But they were very interested in taking a look at what those forecasts were for places where they lived and how that might change what happened. So we decided to use that as a starting point to explore ways to find out how we can best predict the future of locations, near-term future, 24 to 36 months for real estate investing purposes at at the sub-zip code level. Marco, what kinds of data do you like to use when you're putting in your criteria for places to search for to f- to find the right investment properties on Neighborhood Scout?
0: I always start with the address because I'll always have a specific address to type in. And then uh, I, I pull up the information. Um, you know, I glance at the special characteristics, which I know a lot of listeners are probably wondering, you know, what, what that's all about. Um, but it's just a scale from zero to 100 on on five or six characteristics, like is the area hip and trendy or urban sophisticates, and that's all defined on the site. Um, I don't put, me personally, I don't put a lot of weight into that. I mean, it's just something I glance at, but I'll quickly scroll down, and I like to look at the uh, the mix of occupations, you know, our, what percentage of that neighborhood are made up of executives, managers, and professionals versus the other end of that spectrum which would be factory workers and laborers obviously that's that just tells me how many people are going to be white collar higher income earners versus you know blue-collar workers that are on the lower end of that uh, socioeconomic spectrum Um, i'll glance at the unemployment rate i just want to know if it's near the uh, national average but if it's you know very high then obviously that's a negative factor it's a red flag um, the, another thing I look at always is the percent of owner occupied homes in an area, uh, that plays heavily into my decisions and, 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 heavily into what we recommend to clients. Those are probably the major things. Minor things are the, you know, home ownership trend. Is it increasing or decreasing? Um, that, that's not a make or break. I'm also curious about appreciation rates in a neighborhood just to see what has happened over the last Two to five years. I don't really care about what happened over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, nor do I really care about the last quarter because that's too narrow, but you can annualize that.
1: That makes good sense. So you're looking at understanding where this neighborhood is and where it's been. So you have a sense of where it might be headed.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I'll be honest, I kind of skip over the public school system. You know, I I mean, I half jokingly refer to public schools as uh, government indoctrination camps. And so, (laughs) you know, I don't put a lot of weight into that, you know, schools are schools, and they're, they're going to be there. And there's not much you can do to change it. But at the end of the day, if an area is appealing to tenants, and there's a good tenant pool, and they're going to live there, um, I don't care if they've got the best or the worst schools. Uh, there will there will always be tenants that will fill those properties in an area if everything else checks out. So I really just skip over public schools. I look at crimes. I just want to make sure that it's not out of whack. It's not really high compared to the local area or the city. And that's about it. I mean, that's how I use the tool. We do encourage our clients to go and, and, and visit Neighborhood Scout and maybe subscribe if they want to, you know, to do their own due diligence. You know, it's not something we hide from them. Um, but it's just one of many tools out there that I think is pretty powerful. And just, especially if you're, uh, you know, you're investing out of state, you're, you're in California, you're buying something in Kansas city. Um, you know, we can provide all kinds of information, but you know, we can't do all the due diligence for our clients. So this is just one of the tools that we give them or tell them about to go and do their own due diligence and verify what we're telling them.
1: Wonderful. That's very helpful to hear. I'm glad I got a chance to interview you for a minute as well.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> well, thanks for the question. It was a good question.
1: No, that's great.
0: And, and I'm sure people are curious, you know, what do I look at? What do I use? And this is why I asked you, you know, early on, uh, you know, what, what are the most important factors to you that make a stable neighborhood or a stable rental? Because I wanted to know what was important to you. I just told you what's important to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. One of the things that we've understood from a long time ago is that people try to understand things they don't know by comparing them to things they do know. And we use the match algorithm to allow people to type in addresses so that they can understand how similar or different neighborhoods are to some place that they understand and know very well. Mm-hmm. Maybe something that they're trying to replicate or something that they're trying to stay away from. And it helps people digest a new place that they haven't seen or haven't seen a lot to better understand what kind of place it is, what kind of context uh, is in this location. So. That's great. That was really – it was wonderful to hear some of the things uh, that you think are important and ways that you use uh, Neighborhood Scout.
0: Yeah. Neighborhood Scout has been a
1: labor of love for us. We're really – very focused on on building the very best product and analytics that we possibly can we our goal is to reveal the truth about locations and then allow people to have a tool to find the place that best match whatever it is that they are looking for for their investment needs uh whatever end of the spectrum it's on
0: well you're doing a great job and i'm looking forward to your future revision because i i like what i hear about what you're coming out with so i'm going to be looking forward to that um, Andrew, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we wrap up here? Anything else I didn't ask you about that I should have?
1: I don't think so. I think, uh, this has been great and, and it's very enjoyable to spend a few minutes together talking about these subjects. And, uh, uh, I hope that, uh, that we get a chance to talk again.
0: Well, I appreciate your time. Um, so if our listeners are interested in finding out more about you or your product. I guess uh, neighborhoodscout.com, one word, is is where they could uh, find you and your product.
1: Absolutely right. It's easy to find, and uh, we look forward to having them visit.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. I'll put, uh, I'll put that all in the show notes so people can just click over. All right, Andrew. Well, I thank you for your time. It's been uh, very informative, and I'm sure this will be a very popular episode.
1: Thank you so much, and nice to talk with you, Marco.
0: And you too. Thank you. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're not a subscriber, please click that button. It takes you only two seconds to do. Subscribe and become uh, an active listener of this podcast. I, you know our goal is to put out quality, actionable information for you. Go to our website, download the free report, the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing. I know thousands of people have downloaded it, but I also know there are many people who still haven't read it. So if you haven't gotten a copy, grab a copy. copy. Um, if you are on the fence about investing in real estate or growing your portfolio, don't hesitate to call one of our investment counselors for a free strategy session. We'll spend at least 15 minutes with you on the phone if not an hour. Um we're here to help you and guide you and make, you know, help you make the right decisions. So take advantage of that. Again, we have uh, these free great coffee mugs. I refer to them as our Keep Calm and Invest On coffee mug. Uh, If you'd like one, just leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Appreciate the positive feedback. We are well over 300 reviews, all five star. Uh, Thank you ever so much. And we are just getting some great reach in 100 plus different countries. So yeah, that helps us spread the word. So thank you in advance. Thanks for listening. We enjoy having you on the show. We'll see you on the next episode.